It's like Chad Kroger once sang. Look at this photograph. It's the kind that takes visual purple and applies silver alum to a thing that shows you all of it. I, I, I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> Well, with that, welcome back, everybody. I'm Ryan Whitney. I'm Jessica Burke. And I'm Damian Smith. And together, we're Whiskey and the Weird, a podcast where we enjoy and explore whiskey, weird fiction, and sometimes even in that order. It's season three, y'all, and this season, it's alive! We're going to be working our way through Promethean Horror's classic Tales of Mad Science. It's part of the British Library's Tales of the Weird series, and this one's edited by Xavier Aldana Reyes. Each season, we dive into a different volume of this anthology series of weird stories from yesteryear by mostly obscure authors. And each episode, we bring you a full spoiler discussion of one of those stories. So strap on your safety goggles and set those Bunsen burners to simmer. Because tonight, there is a simmer. We've got a story for you. Jess is our master story planner. Jess, let us know what story we're going to hear about tonight. <laughs> we're doing the Blue Laboratory that by sounds good, Lead. but before we dissect that, we've got some bar talk to do. Uh, Damien, what are you drinking tonight? Thanks, Padre. I am very excited to be drinking this beverage. It has nothing to do with the story at hand, but it's a scrumptious one because I discovered that I had some Benedictine sitting on my shelf. And Benedictine is like anything else that's made by monks. It's a very herbally forward, high sugar, high proof <laughs> liqueur uh, that is essentially it's pretty citrus forward, but also kind of wintry. So maybe I'm out of season for it. But I took a half ounce of that, poured it with two ounces of my one of my favorite double ryes, the High West double rye, and oh a dash of Angostura, uh, dash of Angostura bitters, and you got yourself a Monte Carlo. That is a Monte Carlo. It's a scrumptious cocktail, real simple. Something that's a little bit different. So impress your friends. Um, as far as what I'm watching or reading, I just wrapped up Scott Hawkins, the library on Mount Char or library at Mount Char, one of the two. And I got to tell you, probably the reason I can't remember the title is my mind is still spinning from reading this book. I bet, uh, it, I bet is it is. An, <laughs> it is an absolute trip. The best way I could say to go into this book is one to look at the cover because the cover does not do it justice. And you're going to and then forget like, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and then just start reading and <laughs> it will capture you in the first 10 pages. You will wonder what is going on. And I'd like to say a lot of things clear up, but Scott Hawkins owes nothing to the reader. He's taking a lot of liberties. <laughs> he's, he's telling a lot of stories and he's just he's leaving it like J.J. Abrams style up in the air. But it we're talking some crazy fantasy, science fiction, apocalyptic futures gods as mortals uh you know time tra there it's there's nothing that this guy doesn't cover in this book it is really fantastic again that's the library of mount char oh, i love that one too that was a five-star read for me when i read it great book great book jessica how about you what do you got going on tonight well i have a big glass of bourbon uh my cocktail is bourbon with that's a big the jessica on our program usual. by the way um <laughs> this is the Jessica. <laughs> this one is um, a 1911 bourbon, which is uh, made by Beacon Skiff, who makes those 1911 okay. cider. Do they also do they also cans? do the flavored the bourbons? It, Am I thinking of the same distillery? That's like it's crazy. It's like chocolate bourbon and and banana mm, bourbon and stuff like that. Or is that a different one? It seems like it could be up their alley because this is pretty sweet. It's just regular. Bourbon, oh, okay. But they're an apple cidery, so everything seems pretty sweet. Um, but it's good, very drinkable, real sweet. 
Um, super easy. And then I don't know if this is a recommendation or a, just a, a, a ponderer. I watched um, the A24 Alex Garland. I haven't um, seen it yet. Okay. 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 All right. Yeah, this is my favorite recommendation from Jess, by the way, the one where she's it's... like, I don't know if I liked it or I just hated it so much that I need other people to watch it. I don't know if I liked it. Yeah, this is one of those. Okay, so I like Alex uh, Garland's stuff. Like, I liked Annihilation. Um, I liked Devs oh, with Nick on FX, mm-hmm. which was like a little, yes, a little short series. Um, this one really hits you over the head okay. with the point, like a lot, <laughs> uh, over and over. And uh, then you get to the end and you think... Like, no matter what you think the ending could be, it is not that. It goes off the rails, and it is maybe the craziest eight to ten minutes of a movie that I've ever seen, where you're just not not expecting that. So everyone should watch it, but it's not my fault if you watch it. I'm not recommending it. Yeah, I'm just throwing it out there that this is a thing. I feel like a lot of A24 movies have Uh, that sort of ending WTF that it's just because I just watched Lamb recently and it was the same thing. I watched some of that movie. I was like, the whole movie was kooky, but then the last like Mm -hmm. five minutes of the movie, you go, ah, ah. Or yeah, the end of Annihilation is just like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay. This is. Okay. I'm excited. All right. It's very wild. Uh, So. Nice. Uh, Ryan, well, what are you drinking? Uh, tonight I am drinking. Please, yes. please tell uh, us they can what see is it. in that You drink. fair listeners cannot. This is uh, a green cocktail. Uh, served, it's very green. Served <laughs> up in a martini glass. Um, this is the Cthulhu Takes Manhattan beverage from the Necronomicon uh, bar menu. And um, I just had to had to make this when I saw it. It was a little complicated to make. It required some specialty ingredients that I had to go find but luckily i live in a city that sells such things so the base of this is two ounces of bourbon you can use any bourbon you like i'm using the double oak uh iteration of jim beam it's it's a nice bourbon that i like to use when i'm mixing bourbon with something um you're using <laughs> and then he uh, made one, it green <laughs> and then i made it green yeah uh and then, then one the, ounce of dry oh God, vermouth, color. <laughs> one ounce of sweet sour mix one ounce, and this is the specialty ingredient, one ounce of blue cream oh. soda <laughs> and the juice of half a lime. And then the instruction in the, oh. in the, in the bar guide is that you want, um, you want a twist of lime, but you want to cut your twist in such a way that it makes an elder sign uh, from the Lovecraft uh, canon, which I did. I don't think I would do that again. I think I almost cut my finger off, um, but it does look cool. It's pretty detailed, though. It's very it ornate. Is, it is definitely green. It's, this is Cthulhu takes Manhattan. Um, I'll probably just have uh, a, a straight three more of this. If you if you folks could see this room slash sigil that he's carved into a common lime peel, I am very impressed with your knife skills, sir. <laughs> the the taste of this is unusual because the sweetness is all up front, and then it hits you with the bourbon in the back. And and actually becomes a good beverage, uh, which is surprising. Yeah, I've, I yeah, was prepared I'm, for it to be awful. Soda. I like how Ryan's sitting here trying to convince us that this is actually a cocktail and not just like a trash punch you would drink at community college. <laughs> oh, oh, it, it could also be that. But this, what community yeah, college is going to carve elder signs a, out of lime peels? <laughs> or a few in Providence, I'm sure. Yeah, I guess the nerdy one. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've been I've been hitting up Shutter pretty hard recently and uh, catching up on some ones that have been in my queue for a long time, but I haven't actually sat down and watched. 
So I finally sat down and watched a movie called Impetigore, and I may be mispronouncing that. It could be Impetigore. It's from Malaysia. It's a fantastic uh, witch curse hex movie. Uh, starts off in a in a really really creepy way with a woman who's working a toll booth on a major highway, um, and she's talking to her coworker on her cell phone, and she's confessing how this one creepy dude like keeps coming through the toll booth several times in a night. And she's uh, getting freaked out about him. Um, and it, the, the story uh, shifts pretty quickly to a rural village, village in Malaysia where this curse exists that prevents, um, that I guess I'll say it this way, that causes all babies to be born without skin. It's a very graphic, very disgusting. Oh, they're fine. Babies <laughs> are resilient. Okay, they're, they're fine. <laughs> Uh, and it's the story of, of trying to overcome that. It is a pretty okay. creepy. It's not a real like jump out and scare you movie, but it is got a very creepy vibe to it. Um, and I'm always down for for a good curse or a hex movie. So oh, that's Impetigore awesome. on Shutter. So I've never watched this because the the movie poster that's on Shutter for it is so gross. It's the yeah. face with Turned like the little down. faces. Yeah. For eyes, I can't. Yeah, well, it's a good movie. To, uh, it's a good movie. for this movie poster and what is it? Impetigore. <laughs> Impetigore. I M P E T I G O R E. Cool. That's what I have uh, tattooed in old English across my shoulder Still blades. Up. By the way, so <laughs> I feel like I'm already one with this film. All right, that's what we're drinking. That's what we're enjoying when we're not enjoying Promethean horrors. But now it's time to get into Promethean horrors. And as Jessica told us. Tonight, we're discussing The Blue Laboratory by L.T. Mead, published in 1897. Now, L.T. Mead is a pen name for Elizabeth Thomasina Mead Smith, who, according to a 2014 Irish Times newspaper article, was the J.K. Rowling of her day. A name synonymous. I guess guess before all that other stuff came out. No longer holds up. <laughs> a name synonymous with children's adventure, mystery, magic, and crime fiction, particularly aimed at girls. So that's that's the oh, angle okay. I'm going for with the J.K. Rowling <laughs> reference from 2014. Uh, we won't reference her after that, I guess. L.T. Mead was born Perfect. in 1844 in County Cork, Ireland, and began writing at the early age of 17. Over the course of her 70 years, she would publish some 280 books across all genres, displaying (laughs) a penchant for the mysterious and sublime. She was, in fact, so prolific that after she died, 11 books of hers were published for the first time posthumously. Everyone knew her pen name, L.T. Mead, and her books were on everyone's shelf, She very often co-wrote her books, working primarily with Dr. Clifford Halifax, Robert Eustace, with whom she co-wrote Our Story Today, and Sir Robert Kennaway Douglas. The Eustace partnership was notable for two reader-favorite villains, Madame Sarah and Madame Colucci. Now, a particular mystery to me is why did she co-write so many of her stories? And in my research, I could not turn up an answer. 
I did find an old interview with her in which she de- she describes how she dictated her stories to a stenographer and then edited typed manuscripts as she deplored writing by longhand. But that doesn't answer why she chose... <laughs> I think the reason she co-wrote it so many is her stenographers died from like exhaustion after. <laughs> it's it very much could be. Uh, right. <laughs> so I, I don't, that doesn't answer why she chose to co-author the books. Um, her self-confidence was widely acknowledged. So it likely wasn't an attempt to overcome some <laughs> real difficulty of publishing in a male dominated uh, venue Right. The only thing I can come up with is that perhaps in the end, she just really enjoyed a collaborative, creative process. And what's wrong with that? Nothing. In any event, she made quite the name for herself as a writer of strange stories. Though they often included elements of the supernatural, she was most known for her medical and scientific tropes. Many of her stories are about or include doctors, scientists, occult detectives, Bizarre medical practices, inventions, and weird powers. She was fascinated by drugs and their effect on the human mind. (laughs) We might just leave leave that one there. She loved writing about international settings with cross-border financial schemes. Magic often found its way into the center of her dramas. And it was these elements that made her so attractive to The Strand, the magazine that first published this story. It was a long-running British monthly that published short fiction and general interest articles. But it was the crime stories and weird fiction that sold issues. And for many of those issues, they turned to L.T. Mead for her words. You can still find many of Mead's weird and dark stories today. They are collected in a 2021 volume called Eyes of Terror, published by Swan River Press, an Irish publishing house. So that's L.T. Mead. And I think, Jessica, you've got our summary for tonight's story. Our story opens with an excellent line. When I decided to accept the offer of a situation as governess in a Russian family, I bought, amongst other things, a small silver-mounted revolver <laughs> and 50 cartridges. Good, good Great. choice. Nice. Great. Cool. Our narrator is Madeline. She's an orphan with no extended family. Cool. When an English doctor, Dr. Chance, who lives in Russia, offers her a position as governess of his two daughters, she immediately says yes. She has no family or reason to stay in England. And she heads to St. Petersburg to meet with his wife and their two girls. Uh, The wife is a little standoffish, but the girls are cute and friendly. After she's been working um, with the family for about a month with no issues or any excitement, Dr. Chance overhears Madeline tell the girls that she's interested in science, and he immediately recruits her to act as a secretary secretary to take um, dictation on a paper that he's writing. She follows him down to an impressive home study. That's a nice big window, lots of bookshelves, and a super ominous door that Dr. Mm -hmm. Chance says is his laboratory, and that... Someday I shall have the pleasure of showing it to you in what I'm sure is a totally (laughs) not creepy or weird way. Madeline gets ready to start writing. Dr. Chance is publishing a paper that needs to get into the mail today about a brand new method of capturing images of thought on photos. Madeline, a little dubious, uh, but he says he knows what it sounds like. Don't worry. He can provide proof. Just not yet. Stay tuned. 
So Dr. Chance dictates, Madeline records. Um, she's away from the children for a number of hours. And when she gets back, they quiz her on what she was doing and what she saw. Madeline said it wasn't anything exciting, but the two girls who are named Olga and Marusa press her for more details. They're being weirdly pushy about it, but it turns out they have good reason. They explain the situation. Their father is going to ask Madeline for more and more help, and eventually she might be asked to assist in the laboratory that she hasn't seen yet, the one through the totally, totally. not creepy door. The girls call it the Blue Laboratory, and they're really worried about it. So a couple of months ago, a German scientist and some other dudes came to dinner and they started arguing with their father. Dr. Chance yelled, I can prove my words. And all the men went into the study. The girls snuck in after them unnoticed. Their father unlocked the other laboratory door and the girls saw a room twice as big as the study they were in with a glass dome in one of the uh, corners. They crept into that room too hid behind a screen and planned to stay behind when the men left. Of course, their dad turned off the light and locks the door behind him, leaving the girls uh, locked in in the dark. When they creep across the room to turn the lights back on, someone starts knocking on the floor from below them, crying for help. Olga screams as loud as she can, and her father comes running. The girls panic, trying to explain what they heard, but Dr. Chance said there was nothing there. They try to tell their mother, but she dismisses them and seems sort of mad about it. The girls beg Madeline to tell them what's in that room. So Madeline believes them and promises to make it her mission to find out. She agrees to help Dr. Chance with everything that he needs in order to get a closer look. One afternoon, she's finally invited into the blue laboratory. It looks like a normal, well-equipped lab, but she notices the glass dome that the girls were talking about in the corner of the room covered with a black cloth. She continues to help in the lab, and one day, uh, she has a few minutes where she's in there by herself. She immediately rushes over to the corner and looks under the glass. It's a dome over a frame of glass that it looks like it's designed to communicate to a chamber below. Madeline knocks on the glass. Immediately, okay. a face appears. It's a human, gas <laughs> ghastly, okay, suffering face. Madeline. <laughs> so, four stars uh, yeah, on Airbnb, I would though. Be it's so out weird. Of there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Madeline hears Dr. Chance returning. So, the face disappears. She replaces the cloth and goes back to work, trying to pretend like nothing happened. Uh, when they're finished for the day, she asks about the dome in the corner, and he tells her not to ask questions. If she's <laughs> okay, if she snoops, she won't be helping any longer. She says she's not a snoop, and Dr. Chance lies and says it's for making a vacuum. Finished for the day, Madeline runs up to her room so she can get herself under control before the girls see her and guess what's wrong. She knows that she has to rescue whoever is in the chamber and says, even if she dies, <laughs> it gets very dramatic all of a sudden. She comes up with a plan. So that night for dinner, she wears a fancy velvet dress that's a little old fashioned. She wants to distract Dr. Chance by looking super hot, but the equivalent of what super hot would have looked like when he was younger. So she has like powdered her hair oh, and has yeah. this old fashioned dress. Steamy. The girls are all right. <laughs> the girls are impressed. But Mrs. Chance says she looks like Marie Antoinette oh, before it. she's guillotined. That's the number. I think is a really sick burn. <laughs> so <laughs> she gets to work on Dr. Chance, like flirting, laying on the charm, asking him about his like life and childhood. 
His wife doesn't speak as much English, so she falls asleep at the table and just kind of leaves him to it. Before everyone heads up to bed, Dr. Chance says he needs Madeline's help in the study. He says he'll satisfy her curiosity. Again, totally not creepy. And leads her into the blue laboratory. Madeline asks him to tell her a secret. She remembers on the first day that she helped in the study, he was working on that paper about taking photos of thought. She wants proof. Dr. Chance stares at her before he starts grinning like, you know, a <laughs> real creepy scientist. Excellent Imagine metaphor. a real creepy scientist grin. They... <laughs> They banter for a minute about if she's like brave enough. Uh, he promises to show her, but not tonight, tomorrow. Right then, they're interrupted by another servant explaining that the German doctor's on the phone. So Dr. Chance leaves Madeline alone in the office to go answer the Rookie phone. mistake. Uh, desperate to use the time that she has, Madeline runs over to the dope and shouts for whoever is in there to speak to her. A man answers that he's an unjustly imprisoned Englishman who's being tortured. He's in the shadow of death. She promises to release him in 24 hours. I'll get back to you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Madeline runs. Oh, yeah. Just, hey. Hang Madeline tight. is Enjoy Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> and this is 24. <laughs> the countdown is on. So she runs over to where Dr. Chance left the key and makes an impression of it in wax. Dr. Chance doesn't come back to the lab, so she grabs the real key, locks up, and gives him the real key back. She keeps the wax impression. So she needs to use the wax to make another copy of the key, and then her plan is to go to the English consul for help from the ambassador because it's a trapped Englishman, and she's English, and the scientist was English and now lives in Russia. So the next day she works like normal, but Dr. Chance tells her he won't be able to show her what he promised. He's been called away for work and uh, he'll be gone for a couple of days, but he'll need her help later that afternoon to get ready. She meets with the girls as though she's giving her normal lesson, but she needs them to do something for her. She can drop off the wax to have a key made, but she needs the girls to pick it up later. They can't tell anyone, but they agree to help. Madeline writes a letter to the ambassador at the consul, begging for his help to rescue an imprisoned Englishman in a bunker. She needs their help at exactly 9 p.m. It's extremely dangerous. Please help! Exclamation point. She shoves the letter in her pocket, runs some errands, drops the wax thing off with a locksmith, drops the letter off at the consul, and heads back home to help Dr. Chance before he leaves town. Um, Olga, the little girl, returns with the key, and Madeline bribes one of the servants to bring whoever comes from the console into the blue laboratory. At 8.20, she grabs mm -hmm. her gun, remember, she has a gun, and heads down to the study with her new key. Madeline is confident as she unlocks the door and finds a trap door under a mat that opens into a set of stairs. She grabs a candle and heads down to a freaky basement. She doesn't see anyone what at kind first. What basement was that again? But some... <laughs> well, it's a freaky basement. I don't know. Listen, I've got one. You might have one. You know a freaky this basement. Is a horror pod. It's a, it's we a, a weird water table. Pod. We all have freaky basements. <laughs> Unless you we live a, in Florida. We have a water have, table. Like, a, I don't know, a freaky <laughs> shed or something. Okay, so now she's wandering around the basement. She doesn't see anyone. Um, but some groaning leads her to the man she saw before. But he's now tied up and looks even worse close up. 
She works to untie him, but then someone touches her shoulder. Could it be the console already? Dr. Chance. Of course not. It's Dr. Chance. He does not look <laughs> he does not look surprised at all and said he decided to delay his journey so he could show her what he promised. So now it's time for Dr. Chance's villain monologue. So the guy tied up used to be his secretary. Dr. Chance used mesmerism to turn him into a slave and do experiments on him. He also claims that he's the greatest scientist, <laughs> the greatest scientist at present <laughs> in existence, which is a, a great thing to call yourself. But he knew something was wrong when he left the laboratory the other day. So he laid this trap to pretend that he was leaving town. He then starts monologuing about his photography project. And he says, uh, again, this is real hard science. It's written down. If you kill a frog in the dark and then look at its retina in the light, you can fix the last image you saw like on a photo plate. So he uses that same technique. Visual totally purple. real technique. To look at something, <laughs> so to look at something for a long time, and then he goes into a dark room <laughs> and stares at an exposed photo plate so that whatever he was looking at now appears on the negative when it's developed. Perfect. That sounds out. I played that, that Facebook right. game. It totally works. So, <laughs> Checks out. Okay. So then he declares that if you dream dramatically enough, you should be able to do the same thing with a thought. So instead of staring at an object, you're just thinking of an object. To test this very cool theory, he's been peeling back his secretary's <laughs> eyelids night after night to make him sleep with his eyes open to stare at an exposed plate. Uh, and every night he also adds a new drug There's to the see drugs. what happens. Does Madeline want to see... <laughs> Does Madeline want to see the resulting photos? Well, too bad. He's going to show her anyway, and then he's going to kill her in five minutes. He said it would be too dangerous to keep her around because women cannot be trusted, and she might spill the beans on his. Wasn't it women can't be dungeon. trusted? Even women, even the best ones can't be trusted. He says something like even good women. <laughs> yeah, are it's, it's, yeah. It's so it's so bad. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like amongst all of his things, this is in there. <laughs> So <laughs> I don't know if being sexist is like at the same level of peeling someone's eyelids back, but it's, 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 on the it's list. just slightly yeah. below. So Madeline tries to escape, but somehow she gets trapped underneath a giant like glass bell jar. <sighs> Dr. Chance, I don't know how that <laughs> turns it on to vacuum her to death, essentially. <laughs> So she starts to swell up, but then remembers she has a gun. So she fires it to break the bell jar glass thing she's under. <laughs> she shoots it and she passes out. Uh, when she wakes up, luckily the console has arrived. Dr. Chance is in handcuffs. Everything is great. Madeline recovers at the console's house and learns that Dr. Chance is in prison and will probably be sent to Siberia as a punishment. Cool. The former cool. secretary who is in the bunker is recovering in the hospital. He seems to be doing great. The console's wife praises Madeline for acting so swiftly and bravely. And Madeline returns to England and never sees the girls again, but wonders what will happen to them. Amazing. The 
Before I we feel like of all that, the thing that I took away is that Jess has no idea how back. That's that's what I want to say. I want to turn say, it on, turn it off. James Dyson, off if you're listening, it? can you call? Can you call Jessica and explain to her how that? <laughs> I know oh, how oh, a not that vacuum kind of cleaner. Oh, no, 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 no. I get it. <laughs> Jessica is to vacuums as the insane clown posse is to magnets. That's a real deep cut. I expect most Florida f- listeners to really tap in on that one. I'll make a music video. Please do. All right. We'll see what, what did you guys get. think of this frat boy instruction manual? I mean, short story. <laughs> I, um... I mean, I have some feelings. <laughs> I thought it was like, it was the equivalent. I mean, I understand that I'm not surprised, I guess, that that uh, that the author wrote like 800 books because this was so straightforward. It was built on a premise that I thought made for a good like CSI you Mm -hmm. know, episode. And it was it was a a simple arc. It was a simple story told fairly well. I mean, it was told fairly well. And then it was no twists, nothing crazy. No turns. Simple beginning, middle and done. So, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the most mind blowing story that I've read, but it wasn't the worst because it was it was pretty readable. And ultimately, I think it fed that like, you know, that paperback junkie that like sort of dime store mm-hmm. romance novel itch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely felt like something that right. could be serialized. Right. Like. Right. right and right. in our next yeah. story. Yeah. Our, yeah. Hard, you know, hard case crime stuff. She gets right. into yeah. other antics. But it was I mean, it was fun. I read it and liked it and breezed through it and even on the second and third reading like i wasn't bored i knew what was going to happen like the twist is that he shows up but it's a pretty well I, I did like i did like how twist. nice he was in his explanation he seemed almost cordial like you could tell he was so entrenched in the science that he thought nothing a, that he was doing was immoral he was just he's like, a no, gentleman mad kill scientist you. Yeah. yeah he's like I, i've got to kill you i hope you understand but why don't you take a walk <laughs> with me around the laboratory real quick i'm just going to show you some stuff that i'm going to lock you under right. a dome and I don't know how do how do vacuums work. Get turn it on, <laughs> and then it's going to bloat your body up before just... you shatter the dome with your revolver. So yeah, I mean, it was. I think that that was probably the most interesting part. Everything else, I like. I really wanted some sort of like unpredictable element, but nothing was there. It was just page. Okay, page. Okay, page. Oh, it's over. So yeah, there was definitely room for uh, like the doctor's wife who makes two brief appearances right like who like there's a line that she seems kind of mad that the girls are bringing up that they heard something in the lab like that Mm -hmm. could have been a fun twist that she was the girls everyone was a trope everyone was a trope too like even even the victim he's just like he gets (laughs) one chance he hears like a voice that isn't dr chance he gets one opportunity to say something he's like i'm on the precipice of death it's like, come on, man. You're going to be in shock. You're going to see something like macaroni or, you know, just something weird that's like off the cuff. But I, I don't right. know. So the realism wasn't there. It was definitely like made for radio, I guess. <laughs> I think, and I'll come back to this later. Like the thing that, that saves it for me uh, a little bit is uh, if this were like a made for TV movie, right? If you put these images on the screen, the story gets dark. And mm-hmm. and I really I liked I liked that about it, but it was I agree sure. with both of you. It was a yeah. straightforward story. It was uh, there was not a lot of of twists and turns to it. And every everything y'all said, I I will I will say that I was waiting from page one. I was waiting for the gun to show back up. Right? It's it's Chekhov's gun. If you show it, it it's Chekhov's gun. Yeah, yeah. it's literally yeah. Chekhov's gun. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
I mean, so it's nice the, that it was in the very first line. I think that that's true. Right. What Jez mentioned, how it's a great opening line. I did what's normal. I went and bought a gun and like I bought a gun. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. For yeah. my babysitting job. Kids these days. Am I right? <laughs> right. Right. So in his intro to this story, uh, Dr. Xavier Aldana Reyes tells us that it's a story about, quote, the photography of thought. What did you think that was when you read that? And did the story then live up to your expectations? I mean, blatantly so. Is that like I, I wasn't going with the uh, science behind like this whole, you know, visual purple about looking into dead eyes and seeing how the lens now shows purple when you flashlight mm-hmm. into it. And, you know, cool. Like, I get it. It I mean, it it resided so little in the actual science that this was more of a crime mystery story than it was. Yeah. I mean, this could have been yeah, a, this could have totally. been a Sherlock Holmes mystery. That was like, I wanted more of the mad science. I wanted more photography. Yeah. Thought talk. It, yeah. it really didn't dabble in. It was just like, yeah. well accepted. Yeah. You know, when a frog dies, you see this visual purple. It's like, okay, well you can take that and you can basically stare and concentrate and have terrified dreams induced by drugs. And this will transpose onto a sheet just like that. It's like, Hey, cool and then move on.com he's like explaining his insanity <laughs> so it was more used as a device as anything but i this was definitely not a science driven story whatsoever i i wanted so so badly to have more of the science of the story that i did a little experiment on my own and, and i've got to tell you the frog thing doesn't work oh dear also will you please let that <laughs> poor man out of your water table or <laughs> he's drowning <laughs> i gave him i gave him his macaroni he's happy he's now <laughs> macaroni (laughs) jess any anything to add on that the science side of it the first read through where he says photography of thought i thought it was going to be something cool (laughs) and then it was just sort of an explanation (laughs) with no payoff you know then it's like okay here's the science of the thing but you don't really get to see it right like what if there was some like haunting images that showed up somewhere that came more into play than just kind of hearing the science behind it. I thought that could have been executed more yes. exciting. Yes, the, right. the, the phrase yeah, photography that. of thought requires a more exciting explanation or or display in some way of the of the science in the story. But I did think the like images of right? peeling back this dude's eyelids. It was very clockwork. Yeah, it was very clockwork. I pictured some pro- <laughs> some propping open device. Yeah, more akin to. I didn't think he really peeled back. It would have been better if he just cut off the eyelids altogether. I mean, if we're just being honest, like that's the way to do it. One and done. So uh, in the research that I did on LT Mead, one of the things I turned up is that hallmarks of a Mead story is that scientific invention is bad. B-A-D, bad. And I I wanted to know if if you felt like that was the case here. Does the trope of science progress equals bad? follow through here i don't think so just because this wasn't right like useful science so when i think of like science is bad it's like uh that stephen king story where they put something in the volcano and then the water mm-hmm. turns mm-hmm. weird and everyone goes crazy right like, i think bigger scale like you're doing stuff to a bunch of people tell that to mr like, macaroni the bad kind of science. <laughs> <laughs> well like th- this is bad for this guy but it's not really going to have an effect on most people there aren't going to be people lining up to 
look at right. images of their he's own not even, thoughts. He's not even like, like a I, tortured artist or whatever. I think this. that science in this case was used as an excuse for a sociopath who is just like completely disconnected and was using this scientific pursuit that wasn't a scientific pursuit to excuse his behavior and his like, you know, split personality. Mm -hmm. So the whole science is bad didn't resonate here because it wasn't actual science. It was just like some fantastic pursuit. No. Yeah. He was a bad who, right, dude. Yeah. Right. So uh, it was more magical day, than like, scientific. Yeah. It, it was loose at best. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like he would be a bad bus driver or he would be a bad <laughs> office coworker. <laughs> like he would just be bad at everything. I don't think the science was the thing that made him bad. Like I would not want to be a bad Chipotle employee. I, would, I wouldn't want to go to his parties either. You know, he just I don't know. They're pretty fun. Yeah. Let me see your eyelid. Hold on. This just, is, don't, just, just, just don't just don't pose. Yeah, just bumper. don't pose for a picture. That's for sure. So if we if we understand then that a lot of mead stories sort of had this trope of scientific progress or scientific invention is bad. Um, in this particular story, the Blue Laboratory, is there a deeper level to any of Mead's critique of science? Or is do you find that to be absent here? I I couldn't tell. I'll just throw it out there. I couldn't tell that there was that this was somebody who was hypercritical of science. I just thought it was somebody who's writing a pulp story. Yeah, I don't think it came across in this one. Like again, the science is bad, but it's not reflective right. of like all I, science I is agree. bad. I don't think it's just this very. And I don't think if I hadn't have learned that, if I hadn't researched that, then I wouldn't have picked that up from this story at all. Yeah, I, I agree with you. For like, sure, this is more magical. Yeah. No, you'd have to read. Yeah, the, this is one of those things that after the fact you look you'd back have to and read you the go, 230 oh yeah, other okay. yeah, it's there. All and right. if you read the whole it's corpus like, of her 280 right. plus there. books, which I'm not going to do, <laughs> yes. then maybe you would come up with it. <laughs> right. I did look at the uh, the volume of her stories that was released last year. Uh, it does look like a very nice volume. It, you know, it could, could I could see it finding its way onto my shelf. I bet Swan River Press picked picked some of her better stories. <laughs> Just so everyone knows, Ryan lives in like a floor that is completely surrounded by bookshelves. Okay, so when he says yes, he could find a place lovely. on my shelf, this is this is an infinite space. All right, <laughs> I don't think there's a book that can find its way into Ryan's think, shelf. Think House of Leaves. All right, so the opening line, which we've discussed already briefly, of this story facilitates the ending. But, and I'm asking for your best guess here. What does a prospective governess need with a silver-mounted revolver and 50, count them, five-zero cartridges? Yeah, maybe the, like, having some sort of self-defense weapon isn't weird, right? A gun okay. and five bullets. I'd be like, okay, that sounds fine. But Maybe they came in a 50. box. I don't know. Have you all ever visited Russian palatial estates? They are riddled with <laughs> groundhogs. You know, wild that's turkeys, next to my list. Pecking berries yeah. off of their blueberry bush. I mean, they need to have some serious heat to kind of blast the critters that are otherwise, you know, raiding their gardens. But then do you need to bring your own or can you just, you know, it depends. And usually the in the governess handbook, they usually ask <laughs> their handlers, is this, is the ammo provided? And right. also is my firearm provided or should I bring my own? Because nine out of 10 mm -hmm. potential governesses agree, bring your own <laughs> firearm, but have the ammo provided. And, and that's, I think the whole like cute governess thing yeah, is why it's silver right. plated, right? Like this is, this is not just any firearm. This is a, it's, this is a handsome weapon. It's an accessory. Yeah. It's an accessory. It's yeah. A, it really goes with gun. every one of her outfits. Accessory to murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's like we scripted it, but we didn't. I promise we didn't. you. <laughs> that's whiskey folks. 
Well, how well, in we your opinion, then, did Dr. Chance fulfill the role of evil mad scientist villain? I think I said before that I liked the hook that he was like the and you coined it nicely, Ryan, that he was like the gentleman killer. That that was nice. It it it, it gave me little nuances of like American Psycho where mm-hmm. you find these little bits of charm in someone who's otherwise just yes. completely off his rocker. So I appreciate Hannibal Lecter. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. And so I appreciated that. And I think it gave him a nice novel twist as opposed to the scheming dark scientist who lives in like a, you know, a brooding castle on a hill and mm-hmm. is harnessing lightning, blah, blah, blah. That was a nice angle, I guess. But I mean, he was a throwaway character on the whole. Mm-hmm. Actually, I thought he was a fine villain. I think creepy boss is a very understandable yeah. villain, right? Like, Relatable in some boss way. Right? And you live there and he's a creep. <laughs> Yeah. What? I don't. <laughs> you don't live with your, your bosses. Damien? Keep like jaundiced victims, and then <laughs> just that's 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 not weird. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> Listen, we've all had that boss, but I don't think he's a an sure. evil scientist. Okay. okay. Villain. I think he's just an evil. Yeah, he's like, he's like too rich. He's got he's got like a, if... a laboratory for show, you know, and he's pursuing this one passion project that is just like has no basis in science, but at least he's got a cool space. You know and what he reminded me the, the most of really well. He reminded me the most of like a recurring villain on the Adam West Batman. Like, okay, he's a little scary, but let's bring him back for another episode here. Plus the name Doc, <laughs> Holy Vacuum Batman. Yeah, in our well, plus we... the name Doctor Chance. It's like right. It could be a spinoff. Yeah, like this has potential to be like a Nancy sure. Drew yes, style yes. series, and Doctor Chance comes back. You know, All right, well, going with that then, then, Jess, one of the other things that Mead was kind of known for, apparently, was these recurring heroines. How well did Madeline uh, live up to the expectation of the daring heroine? I actually thought that she was fine slash cute. Like <laughs> Good call. Sections where she's giving herself little mm-hmm. like pep talks, like, okay, we can do this. We're very brave. And even if we die, it's important that we save this guy. Um like, I think if you're a a teen girl reading this, right, this is what you're yeah, looking for yeah. in your Nancy Drew, right? Someone who's scared, but she's going to do it anyway. Someone who's got skills. And, and she's getting gun. all her insights from, like, two little girls. She's getting insights from her wards. You know, they're uh-huh. like, hey, uh-huh. by the way, you know, Papa yeah. has a blue <laughs> laboratory. And she's like, all right, I'm going to go check it out. So it's almost, like, sweetly innocent. I think I think yeah. Jess nailed right. it with, with the cute, right. she with believes like the the cute kids. investigator thing, really. She had that going for her. The, where she, like, dresses up to, like, kind of seduce Dr. Chance. Like, I grew up reading, like, Nancy Drew is obviously older than I am, but mm-hmm. um, Sweet Valley High. So that was the, like... <laughs> detective like they were like twin girl detectives who always got into trouble but they would always like dress up to outsmart someone and like this very much had that vibe right like if you're reading it like you can picture having a velvet dress and getting dressed up and solving a mystery i just want to point out that jess very rudely pointed out that she was obviously not old enough to understand nancy drew meanwhile ryan and i are like i think think, well (laughs) nancy drew came out like what in the 60s it's you big. It's you big. That's I mean, what I'm saying. But it, it transcends. I, it transcends decades. <laughs> Give me a break. It's Nancy Drew. I've, I've read many Nancy Drews. She just wasn't the one I identified with. The Sweet Valley Twin. Sure. Tin, Mine was Encyclopedia Brown. Tina. He was Encyclopedia Brown was detective host with the most right there. Well, I, I understand what Jessica's trying yeah. to say, but I might side with uh. Damien here because I very much, to this day, identify with the Hardy Boys. Hey, Completely, Ryan, yes. name, the, name, the, name the Hardy Boys. Franklin W. Dixon and who was the other author? 
No, I don't name know that I, the I don't, actual no, hardy I don't voice. know that I could. I don't know that I could. He really Are, identifies did, with them, folks. Did, well, I don't know my own first name either, so. <laughs> <laughs> I just go by Padre. <laughs> That's right. <sighs> All right. Well, switching subjects mostly entirely. <laughs> Of the three stories, and this could be controversial. I, th- I think this is this is going to be controversial. Of the three stories we've read so far, this one felt to me the most science fiction-y. Do you uh. agree or disagree? Oh, I don't know. I think I got some real horror from when she's creeping into the basement. She's like trying to turn on the light switch, but it's not mm-hmm, bright enough. Mm-hmm. And she hears groaning. Like the scene where she makes it into the basement, I thought was very, yes. very okay. scary and horrible. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> no, I disagree. I disagree with Ryan. I don't think this is the most science fiction-y. I think that I think that science, it, it, as I mentioned, science was just sort of an afterthought, and it was built around a laboratory. That how do we even know it was a laboratory? It was more of a prison, um, and you know there was no real science demonstrated. It was part of the. Uh, it was it was it was part of the construct. It was part of the uh, dialogue. It wasn't even enacted. So I just think that as a whole, it was it was a throwaway element that. Because it was in there, it could win the award for best science fiction short mm-hmm. story. I, I think that it, in the fly, we got a lot of horror. I think we got a there's lot, a of, lot of sci-fi too, sci-fi but I think there was a lot of both. There machines. was more of both in the fly than there were of either. I'll buy story. that. Yeah, I'll definitely buy that. And I think in Rappuccini's Daughter, we got yeah, a lot fair. of Hawthorny boringness. Uh, well, so I, I mean, <laughs> it was it was, was plant based romance. Thank you. Be respectful. There are vegan romancers out there. Vegan romance. <laughs> Fine. Vegan romancers, not sci-fi though. But this one, it had a scientific invention. It had something go wrong with it. It's got a guy that's trying to figure something out. I don't know. I felt like I, I agree with the earlier statement that this ends up being more of like a crime fighting serial s- story. But uh, I do think that at least for the ones that we've read so far, it, it had a lot of those classic science fiction, mad scientist elements to it. I'll buy that the fly might've had m- more, but when I think of the fly, I definitely think of horror perhaps because of the film. Maybe I'm not able to separate. It's gotta it. be because of the film, because there's yeah. actually more like constructive science behind this in the, about in the, the, in the story of DNA right. and the mutations and everything like that. So I, I just think, I just think that you're yeah, absorbing I think that you're a bit tainted by the film and that's understandable. Because there will never be a film of the Blue Laboratory. There will not. Maybe a TV episode. Yeah, on CSI. Nick at night. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So let's let's look then at the at the actual writing. Uh, What did you think about the writing? Did any of it strike you as particularly memorable or remarkable? Pulpy. Mm, Yeah. Pulpy. Pretty quick read. Ryan. That uh, yes, I I was looking Mm. at my favorite line here. This was a a real laugh out loud moment for for me. When when Doctor Chance says says to her, "You are doubtless overpowered by my polite consideration for you," he continued. He never once glanced at his victim. <laughs> that was the best Pretty line good. in the whole story. Total it was bro. very funny, and it captured his personality yeah, perfectly. His monologue yeah. was his. Was the, funny, the, the, the writing was, was fairly unremarkable. I and mean, I don't this know lady's what... churning out a story. Yeah. What every five yeah. to seven minutes? Exactly. It's not going to be fine. Yeah. You know. She you know how when you have a favorite author time. and their first books are like, you can tell they're they're coming from a passionate place, and then they do like those three contract novels in a row through their publisher, and you can absolutely tell reading them. I mean, right. this to me right. was a contract story. <laughs> yeah. Did you think that the story worked, though? And um, at what level? Yes. Yeah, for reading a story. Pulpy teen sure. girls. Yeah. And if it's, if it's truly targeted yeah. at young, like, this young is like people, a, 
then I think, yeah, it works fine. Jess is a young person. I'm an old yeah, it's fogey, like an- I think is what the young whipper, the TikTokers <laughs> yeah, are calling me. me, right? I'm a fogey. This was, How are you doing, my fellow kids? <laughs> <laughs> Almost got the meme. Almost nailed it, Buscemi. Oh, so close. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Well, what about the scare? I mean, can we even ask that question here? Did did something hold up? Did mad science hold up? Did the scare hold up? Did the weirdness hold up? Did something hold up here? <laughs> I think the scare of this situation of young woman, boss who, you know, you think is invested in your future and turns out to be a creep. Normally, it's not quite like a going to do science experiments on you kind of creep, but it's not uncommon to be in this situation and find out the person that you thought was mentoring you might turn out to be a, you know, a run of the mill creep. So I think that scare holds up just as a, like you're in a new place Mm -hmm. with a new family. Your boss is your housing is your job. The psycho, the psycho is in the house thing. Something goes wrong. Scary. Like the whole hand that rocks the cradle terror of like, this is someone who's in your house and you can't quite prove it, (laughs) but you know that something's off. That element I think held up the cloche bell that surrounds the heroine and sucks all the air out. I think that's a little scary. I think the thought of suffocation, especially in plain sight, like creating a vacuum. I think that's why uh, outer space horror or outer space deaths are so scary because the thought of dying in a vacuum right. is just innately terrifying and probably pretty <laughs> horrific to watch. Yeah, so I think those two elements it. were probably the worst. Nobody wants and, that. Um, but not much else. I mean, it wasn't like I lost sleep after reading the story. It wasn't a real heartbeater. So I'll say that for me, a, f- a funny thing happened after I read this because I read the story and I felt like, eh, blah. But then as I kept thinking about it afterwards, certain elements of the story kept coming back to me and the darker the story got, the drugs, the peeling back of the eyelids, the imprisonment, the casual mentions of murder, but let's take a stroll first. There were some darker <laughs> elements to the story that if they hadn't have been there, it would it would really have been a forgettable story. But those are the elements that kept coming back to me. And, and sure. that's what makes it for me, at least that's what makes it hold up as a as a slightly scary, weird story, which takes us now mm-hmm. finally to our whiskey ratings. Whiskey ratings are how we rate our stories here on Whiskey oh, and nice. the Weird, all the way from zero to five fingers or the coveted full fist of whiskey. Jess, what are you given the Blue Laboratory? I wavered in this. I've written down about five different numbers and crossed them out. I'm going to okay. go with a 3.5. Okay. I thought it was fun. I understand that I would have liked it more if I mm-hmm. was like a little younger. Uh, <laughs> she keeps bringing that up, Dee. <laughs> I think that it just would have been a more appealing story to teen Jessica. Uh, but I, you know what? I thought it was fun. It had enough creepy things to keep me interested. You know, kind of the fun heroine who gets everyone out of trouble. Three and a half. Old man D, what about you? Real baking my tears. I was in a story written in pencil, scratched in charcoal on a cave wall. Um, no, I mean, I think, like, look, I, I think I pointed it out. I'm not the hugest fan of this story. It was fine, but fine is where I keep it. So this is a two and a half fingerer for me. <laughs> and I'll, I'll never use the term fingerer again. <laughs> That's just terrible. This one is solid in the middle. It's two and a half fingers for me. All right. So, so, so this is interesting. So I'm coming in with Jess on this one at 3.5. Uh, I I really did kept seeing like the look on that guy's face trapped under that that vacuum bubble and that that kept yeah that kept freaking me out so that that brought it up to three and a half fingers of whiskey for me 
uh, that whole like kidnapping, mental, physical torture thing just kept coming back. Yeah, that was a good image. All right. Somebody has our if this, then that, that if you enjoyed this particular story, you might also enjoy this. And I think Damien's read a very contemporary book recently, and he'd like to tell us about it. Yeah. So if you like this concept of what is the image of death or after death or, you know, the unknown, I strongly suggest checking out the Paul Bearers Club by, I think, a favorite of the pod, Paul Tremblay. Uh, It's his most recent novel. Um, I'm, I'm not personally, and I, I want full transparency here. I don't think it's his best work, but it is an easy read. And a lot of it centers around the relationship between two characters. One of whom believes that the other is this sort of undefined energy sucking vampire. And part of the rationale behind determining this is a picture that was taken that shows this sort of floating blue orb on Polaroid, because I believe it takes place in the eighties or maybe early nineties. There's this halo in the developing photo that the accused character justifies by saying that they pressed a thumbprint on it. It's easy to manipulate these images to show something that isn't true. So for this facet of this visual purple being transposed onto a screen via alum that can pick up the supernatural or the post death or post life rather, I should say, the Paul Bearers Club, very easy read, beloved author by the pod, Paul Tremblay. Check it out. That's an awesome recommendation, Damien. And I think it deserves a little bit of a footnote. Um, Jess, a Polaroid camera was a camera that produced an actual printed photograph as soon as you took it. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it went right to went right to the gram. <laughs> right to the gram. Oh my Oh my God. <laughs> But uh, Damien, that makes me want to know, what is your favorite Paul Tremblay novel? Oh, geez. I actually think that Paul Tremblay is an absolute master at the short story. I find I that his collections to be growing, like growing things. spot. Growing Things is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I think that his like surprisingly novel takes at and interesting takes at like writing short stories in a whole new way. Uh, he wrote something in Growing Things that was a ghost story. It was a haunted house story that took place as like a choose your own adventure. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. He wrote one as like a notes that was taken by a dog walker. I think it was called Notes by right. a Dog Walker, actually. I think it was. And I thought it was one of the best stories. And it just went absolutely bonkers. But it was all in like notes left by someone who was left by your dog walker. Dog. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, it was really, really phenomenal. So I actually find that to be his like best medium. But I will say Head Full of Ghosts, which I think was my first novel experience through mm-hmm. with Paul Tremblay, was probably one of the strongest um, strongest entries. In, in I have his, a lot uh, of love for Head Full of Ghosts, but I think my favorite of his is Cabin at the End of the World. There's That's getting made into a movie. It is. M. Night Shyamalan. He's doing it. There's a. If you have not read that book yet, folks, pick it up. Do yourself a favor. Pick it up and give it a read. It won't take you very long. There is a scene in that book that just completely sucks the air out of whatever room you're in very much like a vacuum. Yeah. That's how a vacuum works. <laughs> That's how a vacuum works. <laughs> Paul Tremblay explains it well. Nice. Um, Thanks Paul. It's, it's a, it's a pretty nightmarish story and, and really good. Not personally, I can't wait for the film. Yeah. I think it's going to be. A good yeah. Story. If you like the constant, uh, slightly elevated dread aspect of films, like funny games, mm-hmm. like that is right up this alley. Yes. It is just, there's yeah, a moment a good where everything is set yeah. as an idyllic scene. And then all of a sudden one thing happens. And then from that, you never stop like white knuckling your armchair that you're reading right. in or whatever. It's just, right. it's, and there's it's, a great uh, line that a great line of dialogue that signals 
that it's about to yeah. change. It's at the end of the first Ooh. chapter, I think. It's We're really changing good. the right. whole subject of this well, podcast. No, All right, let's move, on. let's move on. Let's move on. Well, uh, fan podcast. It could be. It could if be. If you like this story, just read everything that Paul Tremblay's ever written. So. <laughs> there you go. It's actually better than, than the Blue Laboratory. Okay, well, that takes us to the end, folks. Thank you so much for bearing with us through all this. If, in fact, you did, we are grateful and we will be particularly grateful if you would take a few minutes out of your day to rate and review this podcast. That really does help us. As always, we want to thank Dr. Blake Brandis for providing the music for Whiskey and the Weird. And if you want to reach out to us on the social medias, Damien? Where can they find us? Yeah, if you're the social type, please be sure to find us on Twitter at Whiskey Weird Pod, at Whiskey Weird Pod on Twitter. If you're more of the Grammon type, like Jessica and all her Gen X contemporaries, Gen Z, Millennial, I don't even know. What letter are you, Jess? Doesn't matter. Doesn't anyway, matter. go ahead and head over to the Gram and find us at a Whiskey and the Weird, Whiskey and the Weird on Instagram. And as you know, we spell our whiskeys with an E. We hope you do too. If you don't, then guess what? I'm going to basically cover you in a cloche bell and suck the air out of your life. That's how a vacuum works, Jess. Deal with it. <laughs> All right, Jess. Tell the good people what we're reading. Next. We're reading The Sandman. No, not that one. This one's by E.T.A. Hoffman. Oh, and that's one that's been on my list for a long time, so I'm looking forward to that. It's Anyways, amazing. I'm Ryan Whitley. I'm Jessica Berg. And I'm Damian Smith. And together, we're Whiskey and the Weird, wishing you a great night. Damian, send us home. As always, keep your friends through the ages and your creeps in the pages. Bye-bye. Yeah. One's definitely Joe. Joe. Yeah. Right? Oh, now we're going to have to look that up. Anyway, we're Joan, not going to ponder isn't about it Joe this. And Frank? It's Joe it and might Frank, be Joe and isn't Frank. It? Joe it's and not Frank. Frank. It's Joe and Frank, I think. Oh, we are going to look this up on, on an auditory experience for our